You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. This is the episode that we have been hyping since the very beginning, and it's finally about to happen. Welcome back to the overly hyped episode of Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and we really wanted to have this guest in the studio. In fact, she was supposed to be in the studio way back in March, and I think it was the day that a lot of the restrictions restrictions hit. hit. (laughs) We were talking before, and we kind of postponed and canceled some stuff, but we're the day the restrictions hit is the day we were supposed to record. Yeah, it, so. <laughs> it, it all hit at once. It all hit at once, which was which was really, really difficult. Um, so speaking yeah. of, of not wanting to wait much longer, Tom, you're actually – you're close to becoming a father. Yeah, yeah. So we're just shy of 38 weeks. Woo! So there's a lot of anticipation. It's um, – we both kind of feel that – we wish it was here already, but at the same time, we both kind of feel <laughs> we wish that it was a little bit further away. As, like we're packing hospital bags uh, every night, or well, not every night, but um, packing the hospital bags so we have something to... So I have to ask, just to go off topic, what's the procedure now during COVID-19 for um, giving birth? Like, the the is, governor signed limited? something okay. where, where they were able to have like one support person. The mother was allowed to have at least one support person, whether it was a doula or did, their mother or, did, or did, their husband in my case. Did you get chosen? And you yeah, get- <laughs> yeah, I got, it was a tough competition between me and her mom, but I, I did get picked All right. <laughs> to go in the room. But um, yeah, and before that, the hospital we were working with allowed that. But I guess you're allowed in, um, but you can't leave. Well, you can leave, but you can't come back in. If, uh, it's like if the you Hotel are, California. Yeah, it's... It's uh, you're there. So if it lasts three days, I'm there for three days. If it lasts twenty minutes, I'm here's, still here's, there probably for three thing. days. If it, if it lasted three days, you wouldn't leave anyway. Yeah. It's not oh like, yeah. It's like, not oh, like call me. It if really isn't. Happens. Like I, I know my mom. Um, actually, my grandma tells a great story about how uh, my grandfather, when I forget which aunt or uncle was being born, but um, they were in the the hospital and. I guess they were in early labor, and the doctor actually told my grandpa, "Oh, go to work. We'll call you when it's time." <laughs> <laughs> so that's not that's not times anymore. Uh, no, I don't so, think that's happening yeah. today. So we let's do. How about a little housekeeping? Yeah, we we haven't done that in a while. Yeah. So well, anyway, we've we've really appreciated all the five star reviews we're getting, especially. Uh, I don't think this is someone's real name, but <laughs> we really liked uh, the review from uh, Michael McMikeface. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the name more than I like the review. The review was a great review. Thank you again. But I think I think you just wanted to say that on air. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, we we really we we say it a lot. We've been blown away by all the listeners that we're getting. We're up to forty four states, twenty one countries. The twenty one countries probably not as much of this applies to to them as it does to the folks in all the states. But. and we've even been a top 10 nature podcast in Ireland and Australia. Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, it changes almost daily. But, yeah. but at one point, we were eight in both Ireland mm-hmm. and Australia. For a very short period, we managed to crack the top 20 in the U.S. We sat at 
at number 15 for one whole day. Yeah. One whole yeah. day we were number but, 15. But we were beat out by one podcast that is nothing but just nature recordings <laughs> where they just set up a microphone next to a babbling brook and then they'd put down the the location and um and that's actually the number one we weren't the only one that was the number <laughs> one beat everybody that, that basically just said people would rather just hear what they can hear out there yeah. <laughs> out their window than us yes we were yeah. we, we were <laughs> we, we were greatly outperformed just by nature sounds but but we're really fortunate that you guys want to listen to us and uh and we've really been enjoying a lot of the conversations and they don't just well in the office they don't just end when we we hang up the phone or or turn off the mics fran and i then talk about them for a long time and we've started our our facebook group native plants healthy planet to kind of continue that conversation online and um i've really enjoyed the conversations that have been going on there i have been too it was a little quiet at first Mm -hmm. but it's picked up and you know one of the things that i appreciate it was shortly after we started it i saw someone else on another native plant group on facebook give a complete kiss off uh, i've seen a lot response of <laughs> and it was i'm sure it was deleted shortly thereafter but it was one of the most hysterical kiss off yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know it, it's it's hard to see frustration from people that want to be involved with native plants mm-hmm. it shouldn't be exclusive it should be completely inclusive and i think we've done a good job at at doing that yeah. um so yeah if, if you haven't joined at home Go online, uh, join that group, and like we're we're inviting a lot of the guests that we have on, and, and some of them join that group, and we want listeners to interact and say we talked about something, and we we described the wrong thing. Well, we want you to kind of fill us in, and we've had some good banter where other people are filling us in on other things they've read and heard, and exactly, yeah, and I, and that's what we really wanted out of this. And I don't know if Kelly's a member of the group. Kelly, I believe Kelly is a member of the group. Kelly, can you can you respond to that? Are you a member of the group? I believe I am. Okay. All right. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so yeah. if, if you yeah. have questions after this episode, you can ask Kelly yourself right in the group, which which would be awesome. So and 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 hopefully there won't be any nasty kiss off. <laughs> response. Yeah. No, yeah. everyone's been really, really, really good. So um, Fran, did you watch yeah. the Eagle Cam yet? No. You know, here's the funny thing. All right. So I procrastinated so long that I finally grabbed my laptop. It was dark out, and I'm like, I'm going to watch the Eagle Cam at night, and the Eagle Cam is down. So the, mm-hmm. they, there is an issue with the camera itself, um, and they can't fix it during nesting season. The nesting season mm-hmm. actually runs until August, so the camera is shut off until August. So unfortunately, I I will have to wait yeah. till, till you're gonna have to wait. Late. I guess until next. Well, I guess it's, I don't know if it's on all the time or. I don't know. When nesting season's over, I don't know how much activity there is. Yeah, so I'm going to have to wait till next year. But one thing you won't have to wait for, that's something I have to wait for. One thing you won't have to wait for any longer, considering how long we've been hyping it, is our next guest. Yeah, yeah. This has really been months in the making. And when we uh, first started talking about doing a podcast way back in, I don't know, it was like probably October or November of last year is when the primary discussion started. This person was at the, the top of our list and they already chimed in a little bit but um for and that's a first yeah we've told every guest you can chime in and no one has no even one though has. we prompted you we but, prompted you but no she clapped and, yeah, and was laughing yeah. so um thank you yeah. thank you for but, for breaking that I, ice I, 
I don't want to break up the friendly banter either. That's a nice yeah. way to uh, kind of ease into, you know, the podcast. Well, we you can be a part of the friendly banter. Yeah. You're always welcome. So, But anyway, uh, people have been hearing about there's pollinators declining, and especially specifically with monarchs. We hear about monarchs declining all the time and, uh, and our native bees, and people hear about honeybees and all that. And a lot of that boils down to lack of habitat. And on, there's so many organizations that are really trying to do something about this. We talked to Marcus Gray with Monarchs in the Rough, and they're working with golf courses to establish monarch habitat. But there's tons of organizations that are doing doing something about this. And uh, even though this may have been a little bit of an overhype that we've been talking about doing this for a while, one of those organizations is the Xerxes Society. And that's why we're really, really happy to have Kelly Gill on today. So, Kelly, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about the Xerxes Society. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It was, you're right, maybe late fall over the winter when you introduced the idea uh, to me about holding these podcasts, and I thought it was excellent. Um, and and our, our original date right before we got shut down was actually 68 days ago. Wow. Wow. Was it that? <laughs> First of all, I can't believe we've been doing a podcast that long mm-hmm. now, but I can't believe it was that long ago that, that we were going to sit down and do that. That's that's crazy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so it's it's time is, is very interesting these days. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> when, when your schedule gets interrupted and turned topsy-turvy, and so I'm so happy to be here today. Um I'll just introduce a little bit about my position. I work for the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. I am a senior pollinator conservation specialist. I cover the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, And along with being employed by Xerces, I also have a uh, um, what we call a cooperative agreement with the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service. And in that role, I act as a a partner biologist providing uh, technical support and on-the-ground work for uh, habitat restoration for pollinators, but also other wildlife. Um, You know, all of these things are so interconnected that, you know, uh, my main focus is on invertebrates, pollinators, beneficial insects, and and other um, invertebrate animals. But uh, you know, in the big picture, if we look at this, the, the work we're doing is really helping wildlife and the environment at large. How how large of an area do you cover, Kelly? So my, I have under my direct <laughs> uh, deliverables, <laughs> I have, it varies six to seven states. So wow. Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, uh, New York, Rhode Island, and sometimes Delaware. <laughs> wow. I, I feel really fortunate that we have you in our backyard. I mean, for our listeners that don't, don't know, we're, what, three miles away? Yeah, it's three, three, four miles away. You're right. Yes. So my duty station, what they call our, our main office, where I, I tend to go on a day-to-day basis, not right now, I'm working from home, is in Columbus, New Jersey, right across the street from you guys. Yeah. And And that's great because I can't, imagine a better resource like Pinelands Nursery being so close. Um, we and, appreciate and that. So, we, we feel the same way about you. <laughs> like, we, we feel very fortunate to have such a wonderful resource right right in our backyard. 
I think so. And not just, I mean, not just Xerces, but all of all of the conservation work we're doing through mm-hmm. NRCS programs. And um, and then I also supervise uh, two employees in New England, in Maine and New Hampshire. So I'm frequently dabbling in things up in the New England area as as more of a support role and, and coordinator. Um, I, I, yeah, don't, so. I don't know how you do it all. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate all the time we get from you now knowing yes. how much responsibility you have. I, I, some days are better than others um, as far as workload goes, but um, the nature of the job and the people I work with are just top of the line. And so it, at the end of the day, it's really satisfying. Awesome. Awesome. I I have to be honest with you. Before I started my work at Pinelands Nursery, which was in 2007, I never heard of the Xerces Society at all. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. until I met you, I I didn't know what it was or what it meant even. So would you be able to tell us a little bit of the history of how the Xerces Society came came to be? I can. Um, And so we kind of compare ourselves, and you're not alone in, in not knowing us or the organization, um, but we kind of compare ourselves to like uh, the Audubon Society for Insects. Okay. okay. Um, and and for a long time, we were a very very small organization. In fact, when I started um, in 2013, we might have had actually a quarter or half of the staff we have now. Oh wow! So we're growing. We're we're growing our reach. We're extending our services, and so I think people are learning more about us. You know, the last few years, um, but we we've been doing this work. Um, so we're you know a, a, a conservation organization that focuses on invertebrates. We work internationally. Um, we're a nonprofit. And our mission is is to protect the natural world through conservation of invertebrates and their habitats. So not only are we focused on invertebrates, but um, you know the the base invertebrates and plants and conservation make for that whole food web. And believe it or not, we've been doing this work for over fifty years, or nearly fifty years, I should say. Um, uh, the Xerces Society started off as a small butterfly club. Really? So, yeah. So we had people that were um, interested in butterflies that grew a little bit to be um, an organization with a very small staff. And, you know, when you, you hear our executive director, uh, Scott Black, give a presentation on Xerces, he he mentions, you know, in the beginning, it was a handful of staff not knowing if they were going to get paid, <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing this because they really, really believed in it. And that has not changed. Well, that's that's um, the best kind of story I like mm-hmm. to hear, you know, because it was based on passion, um, not necessarily money, which is. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and you know, um, we are a member supported organization. I know Pinelands is a member and and we get a lot of funding that way. So, you know, the general public uh, through their support really funds a lot of work we do. And we spend a lot of time. We have a whole team of people that do something very important, and that's grant writing. And and that gets us, you know, these federal fundings, these other types of, of foundation funding that allow us to really do our work. And, um, you know, while 
in my mind anyway and, i think of like on the ground stuff is is fun and glamorous i'm like oh there's people up there writing grants yeah you know? that's not the fun <laughs> stuff that's really not the fun no. stuff but it's it's some of the most important mm-hmm. things that can be done um but it yeah it's it's not the glamorous part of of the job it is not and and like those people are just so key in our organization and um, you know, we'll probably get to more questions about that later, but um, I can't speak highly enough of Xerxes as an organization and as an employer. It's really um, an outstanding, outstanding programs, outstanding coworkers. Uh, we have a couple of key program areas. We're probably most known for pollinator conservation okay mm-hmm. um and like i said we got our start with butterflies but we do a lot of work with endangered species we do a lot of work with aquatic invertebrates like freshwater mussels dragonflies damselflies all of those really important invertebrates uh some are insects some are arthropods that are are um really key with uh water quality indication um, and and so on and so our our programs are just growing by leaps and bounds and I encourage anyone listening to go to xerces.org just to check it out. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. We're we're gonna make sure at the end of this that we plug everything and and steer people to where they can go to to look and and get involved. Speaking of getting involved, how did you get involved with Xerces Society? I mean, was this with like I'm curious with how passionate you are about what you do was this a lifelong quest did you always know you wanted to do something like this like was this your goal when you entered college was this i'm curious um i took the long and windy road (laughs) (laughs) i i actually um i've always been a nature person i grew up in northeast pa um on on a, a decent sized property with woods and hiking trails and a creek and you know, doing all the all the things that um, I, I think kids don't do anymore, or at least mm. a, a lot of them. But uh, so I've been always enamored by just observation. Um, when I first went to school, uh, my first degree was in fine arts. Okay. And so I've always I've always been um, you know painter and drawing, and I did some studies in nature interpretation through, you know, art, doing plant diagrams and, and things like that. And, and you know what happened? You look closer and you see things Mm -hmm. and you see this small world of, of creatures and like these things you can't see happening, but they're happening if you look. Yeah. And that to me was like it, it was just a super important thing to pass on whether I did it through art which as a bad um, self-manager so I made no money <laughs> <laughs> gave away artwork and they're like oh you, I like that I'm like you can have it <laughs> all right we need and, before I forget I, and yep. not to interrupt what after this airs I want you to post a photo of one of your artworks on the uh Native Plants Healthy Planet yeah. Facebook group, so that everyone can see see your work. Because I haven't seen any of it, I'm really curious, and I think everyone else yes. will be too. So if you would if you would humor us and and post something, we would love that. I would. I will. I All will. All right. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So you you started to gain an appreciation for it, and 
and and and yeah, the art thing wasn't working <laughs> money wise. <laughs> so I was I also was you know I was working as a bartender. Okay. And um, and that was paying the bills pretty well at the time, and I worked for a nice family. And then eventually I got, um, you know, just worn out on the hours and, yeah. and holiday stuff. And I met my husband there and he was, you know, working in the kitchen and we just spent like every hour of the day, <laughs> it seemed, <laughs> um, at that place. And so when in, uh, 2009, I was getting older and I went back to school for my master's degree as an older student, which was a heck of a challenge in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I'm imagine. Because going, I'm going back and I'm learning like GIS, Excel, like <laughs> these things that did not exist. Yeah, and <laughs> you plus you're, you're juggling, you're juggling a, a normal life, life yeah. as well. Yeah, yep. We picked up, we moved from Pennsylvania. I took my husband with me. I mean, it was a trip. And it was the best decision I ever made because I got, uh, I finally completed, I, I had a lot of science courses from doing um, scientific drawing, but then I, you know, I really delved deep into the, the practical application of all this and I was, I loved it and, and it was the best thing I've, I've done. Um, so I went to Iowa State. Okay. Too. All right. <laughs> so we picked up from Pennsylvania, moved to Iowa. Oh, which, wow. Which was amazing and interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way I came, so this is the full circle here, the way I came about Xerxes is, you know, everybody wanted us to move back east. We wanted to move back east. I thought, you know, uh, Iowa is like the epicenter of agriculture. If I'm going to get a mm-hmm. job in entomology, it's going to be here, like controlling a pest. Yeah, that's which wasn't my. Um, it's not what I studied. Okay, I studied restoration work and prairie restoration, um, and and so I saw this job announcement that was stationed in New Jersey from Xerces Society. And I jumped on that, and it like what they say about timing being everything. I had I hit I hit the jackpot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what I find fascinating about that, and I think we've had this conversation in the office, is that you are so good at your job, and you wonder how many people in life never really find out what they're best at. That they mm-hmm. never had an opportunity to, to experience the one thing that maybe they're better at than anyone else. And it's I find it interesting, like how late in you lo- how late in life you found that, and how good you are at it, and how passionate you are at it. It's never too late. Yeah. It's, you just it's, gotta keep on trying. <laughs> it's never. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm good at. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, maybe it's this. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it might be this. This might be my uh, my my best talent. So, so Kelly, before we get too too far into what the Zoo uh-huh. Society does, where did it get that name? Because at least when I first heard Xerxes, I immediately thought of the movie 300, and that's really the only place I'd been exposed to it because it was was it King Xerxes, right? In 300. Am I making that up, Fran? I've never that's, seen the movie 300, oh, okay. believe it or not. But I'm pretty sure that's his name. I'll be I, honest. <laughs> I, I, every time I say it, I'm, I'm, I say it softly because I'm concerned I'm yeah. pronouncing it <laughs> incorrectly. Like, I just assume I'm saying it wrong, so I'm like, yeah. the society. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's it, a little it bit a peculiar w- of a name, and um, I'm interested in how they chose that. It is a strange name, and there's, like... So we're X, 
Z-E-R-C-E-S, Xerxes, or someone will put like, sometimes people will say Xerxes, mm -hmm. like Xeric. Uh, I just say Xerxes, um, and there's the X-E-R-X-E-S, like the biblical yeah, king yeah. type of reference. Yeah where we get our name and this is super important and i do this and and people are probably you know that have seen my presentations are like oh we already know <laughs> but um i think this is really really a cool thing so our our name comes from the now ex extinct xerxes blue butterfly oh. it's a small blue butterfly um the uh scientific name is Glycopsyche xerces, and uh, it's the first butterfly known to go extinct in North America as a result of human activity. Wow. So there's a but this butterfly um, was very closely as as butterflies tend to be more specialized in their plants and habitats, closely tied to uh, habitat sand dune habitat in in the uh, western part of the country, San Francisco Bay Area, and and that area was developed and we built houses and hotels and all the things we do as humans. And we just erased that habitat from the landscape, essentially. Um, and so that species was declared extinct by the 1940s. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, can... we're still learning a lot of lessons, yeah, right? It, it really <laughs> makes you think, with insects being so small, how many of those species disappeared or went extinct without us even knowing knowing and if and since then do you know how many like if that was the first known in north america how many have since gone extinct is there is it like a huge number do you know so i we um butterflies we know a little bit more about because they're big and people have been watching them kind of like birds mm -hmm. um and so what I do know now is about 20%, give or take, of, of our butterflies in North America are at some kind of risk. Okay. So that equals around 140, 150 species. Wow. Um, and, and those are for, you know, we have more data on the big things because they're easy to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about like small butterflies, like these small blue butterflies or even small bees, um, minute bees or insects. There's no historical record, and we, so we, we we don't know. Yeah, we learned that with Sam Drogi with when they started the inventory, just saying, "Wow, no one really." There was no information. Like we didn't have what, anything. Mm -hmm. What Sam is doing is so critical to conservation. Not only just the um, taxonomy part of it, which is a, a lost art. Yeah. And I, um, and very unfortunate, and we're getting more automated ways to do that, but um, there's just species that aren't studied. They're hard to find. They're cryptic. They're, you know, it, it's it, w what we know about bees largely in, the, in a generalization is based on the study of honeybees, where you could get a whole mm -hmm. hive and study 50,000 yeah. individuals. And, and so sometimes that translates widely as an umbrella and sometimes it doesn't well that's what and what i'm sorry go ahead i don't want to cut you off no that, that i think that's yeah that I, that is it i mean what you're what you're explaining let's okay say you have 150 species that are that are in danger 
and that's throughout all of North America. That's a daunting task. How do you, how do you even start? Where do you start? What's what? What's the goal? So we we take this like <laughs> approach, <laughs> um, you know, from many different angles. We have people on staff that are scientists that really know about um, certain species. They've taken everything they can from the literature, museum records, current surveys that we're conducting, um, and and compile what we think is happening. Um, but it's not enough. Even though, like I said earlier, we're growing as an organization, we're still not that many people, right? Yeah. And these insects are widespread. If you think about monarchs that are found everywhere from Canada through Mexico, we need more boots on the ground at all times. And the way that we do that is through our staff um, doing this type of work, but also we uh, reach out to the community. So we have community science programs where we ask regular citizens, um, community members, who are interested, who want to get out, it could be, uh, and most of the things can be done by uh, any age group, um, and ask them to help us collect data. Okay. Yeah, through that, those through those programs. And it could be taking a picture of something with your cell phone and just submitting it. And that's awesome. But that's just one of the things you do. There's, you... Oh, yes. Uh, can, can you discuss some of the other things? Because you, like, you just had my attention when you were talking earlier talking about aquatic species and endangered species and i know yeah. there's a lot of a lot of arms that that or parts of the blanket that cover everything what are some of the other things that you do i know you work with with uh private ho uh, landowners to create pollinator habitat what are what are some of the other other things that you might do so along with uh, w i'll first emphasize that on our staff, my coworkers are like infinitely, just humongously intelligent, and they they work really hard to gather this information and um, write reports on species on their status. Okay. So things see, things come from that angle. Um, when we know we need to take action, um, and and what is my focus and my job is on the ground habitat restoration. Okay. And so putting that habitat back on the landscape, habitat loss, as you can imagine, is one of the biggest drivers of these declines. That's, and so, that's been the main theme yeah. across <laughs> every you, conversation. Every <laughs> conversation that we've had since we've started this this podcast has been it boils down to habitat loss of habitat. I believe it. I believe it. And so you and and your guests on the podcast and and you know myself people that are kind of uh in this world of conservation we know this yeah. and um so we're working towards that the other huge arm of our efforts is education okay so telling people that mm, well they want to do the right thing for the environment but they don't know what it is or maybe they're afraid of bees and everything stings you know those those kind of like myths or preconceived notions that people have so we do a lot of teaching and that is uh, you know giving a presentation and just watching people react and watching their minds open and and say oh 
oh, that's that's how it works. And <laughs> kind of uh, what we're trying to do is with especially in the realm of habitat restoration is shift people's perception of what they think is a beautiful landscape. Away from that early European And that's difficult. That's very difficult. It's difficult. And with everything going on and how we're so connected, people get shamed. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they do. My own wife shames me for our our garden. It's part of it's my fault. It's it's not the – I don't weed it enough. But um, but for for habitat functionality, it's – actually is really good but it's not the from from curb appeal oh it doesn't look so great so yeah and so we're trying to we're trying to change that and shift those notions especially in light of of bigger problems like things like climate change and having resilient landscapes and uh being able to to tolerate these predicted or projected extremes like Mm -hmm. flooding followed by extreme drought and and so we need a functional landscape for so many reasons that are probably beyond this podcast we, but we, um yeah, there uh, yeah there's besides just habitat so many of the natural landscapes are there for protection floodplains and dunes mm-hmm. and things like that but it's it was nice for for tom and i to see in the facebook group some of our members talking about their commitment to removing lawn from yeah. their properties. Yeah. I know uh, one of our upcoming future guests, Carolyn, I hope I'm saying her last name right, Claub from the Sourland Conservancy, was oh. saying her and her husband have committed to removing 50% of their lawn. Yes, um, and people are getting grant money for this. I'm involved in an advisory committee um, for um, uh, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and they're doing a lot of uh, you know, lawn removal buffers, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I didn't know they were doing that stuff so close, like in the Mid-Atlantic. I guess I'd heard that in Minnesota they were yeah. paying people to remove part of their lawn. Okay. I've seen that article circulated a for like times. the last, I don't but, even know. But I think of Minnesota, I think of Illinois, and yeah. I think of uh, uh, Oregon mm-hmm. or, or Washington when I think of those. I don't think of the, the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening in your backyard, and it's growing. And I think... Um, you know, even those more like kind of progressive states and even with the things with lawn conversion in, in Minnesota, it's it's moving in the right direction. All of these programs are moving in the right direction, but we're still working on like convincing people to get the best plants for that. Mm-hmm. So like adding clover to your lawn, yes, is a benefit, but adding like some native plants that just extends that benefit and enhances that the food availability, the mm-hmm. nesting structure, all that for pollinators. So um, while we appreciate and, and don't want to denounce any of these efforts, we're still trying to get people on board with native plants. <laughs> well, you, you know, I think so much of what people do in their gardens is based on on aesthetics and just learned responses i i think you're doing it just because it's it's what you know to do mm-hmm. it's because that's what your parents did that's what you see mm-hmm. that's what you do and there's really no why would you think otherwise a yeah. lot of people are they're using even things like japanese barberry and and things that are known to be invasive as landscape plants thinking they're probably contributing 
Yeah. And they just don't have, there's no real information source that's at least widespread that's saying otherwise. And and that's why education is important. Yeah. That's, so, yep. so you, you say you, you get some homeowners and you're educating them and now you have their attention. What can they do once they leave? Are there, are there tools? Is there online information? Is there ways for them to continue? Once, once you so, have their attention, what can they do? This is very interesting because, you know, my position and especially the partner position with NRCS, I'm very focused on agricultural lands okay. in my day to day. Yes. And so we know at this point the farm, the nature sanctuary, you know, the, the native plant garden, um, the horticultural gardens, the demo gardens aren't enough, right? Yeah. We don't have them. They're not big enough. And so they can't help all the species, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like not yeah. all the animals aren't like, hey, I'm going over there to live. <laughs> <laughs> and so our, I, you know, Xerces in general, we're taking this landscape approach. Okay. And with that, we need to incite the help of as many people as we can. And so it, it's actually funny when I do a, a course or a training or even just just a talk at a conference, you know, we, we advertise this to farmers and we find all these just regular concerned citizens showing up. Mm-hmm. So we, we have a lot of resources on our, our website and, and more recently posted because we're thinking we started and we still do like habitat restoration, large projects. Yes. Now we're like, okay, we need connectivity. We need everybody to help. And so we have, we've taken our um, resources that were built for large areas. And a lot of the concepts are exactly the same, but scale it down to something manageable for a, a small landowner. Okay. And so we have, they can do a habitat evaluation. We have plant lists. We have, you know, information. People could contact us directly for advice anytime. Wow. wow. I did not know that. Yep. That's you fantastic. need advice, Fran? I do. You need some advice? <laughs> I, 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 I don't think she gives that kind of advice. Fran. We'll talk later. <laughs> 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 but no, that's great to know because I'm sure a lot of people don't know that. And you you know, for us and it's it's frustrating for us too, we get a lot of homeowners that contact us and, and we don't deal with homeowners and they just want information and they don't even know where to go. And it's right. it's great to know that that resource is available mm-hmm. for them. Yes, and we're building on that more. We're reaching out more to um urban areas, urban uh, green spaces, you know, these communities that have been very underserved and just not part of the conservation conversation, um, but are are probably the locations that need it the most. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's it's not something that, you know, I was I had said on an earlier podcast, I grew up in a very suburban area. I grew up in Levittown, PA, which was which is basically an extension of Philadelphia. It's it's such mm-hmm. a large suburb. It's 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 almost a city. And by the when you know when I was born, it was already developed. It had been developed since the forties and fifties. So with the exception of a few greenways that weren't taken care of, like there really wasn't 
a lot of you know there was Silver, Silver Lake uh, Nature Center, but I don't really remember really any other nature areas, and so I didn't know a lot other than what you learn in like Boy Scouts or or like going fishing mm-hmm. with your with your dad. It and, was, and I'll even chime in. I had, had a friend that lived on Long Island and went to visit. This is back when I was in college, and we went to visit one summer and. He's like, oh yeah, we're gonna go go to the woods, and it was really like a less than an acre, just patch of trees that was full of invasive plants, and <laughs> it, it really made me treasure where I grew up in yeah. in a fairly agricultural area. But there's a lot of uh, natural areas. Dec- natural areas. There's fewer than there were when I was it's, growing it's up. It's declining a little, yeah. It's um, yeah, but for a lot of those suburban urban areas, you don't the patches of nature are really really small and i'm sure it's scarier too like yeah. when you start thinking of animals and insects because they there is no mm-hmm. interaction with them yeah it's yeah. it's ooh, you know yeah. i don't want to get that away from me <laughs> it's totally unfamiliar but i've done a lot of programs with inner city youth where you you know i got a group of kids sitting around me i don't interact with kids a lot but yeah. i interact with them the same way as i do adults i'm like <laughs> I'm like, she, do you guys like bugs? And they're like, ah! And they're all <laughs> screaming and crying. And, you know, like people are passing out. like these. And and so I say, all right, okay, yeah, maybe there's a few bad players out there. You know, those are the ones you're worried about, right? And I take a little, co- like, vented collecting jars. And we'll go about, like, this one was um, in Trenton. They had a little kitchen garden at this site. And so I collected all these bumblebees within um, uh, pollinators, bumblebees, insects, whatever I could find in these captive jars, okay. you know, no, no risk. Yes. And before I knew it, I had like 18 kids hanging on me <laughs> wanting a jar so they could go collect their own. <laughs> That's so awesome. As soon as, yeah. as soon as you erase that, <laughs> you know, notion that, insects are bad or they're pests or they're going to bite me or sting me it's amazing and and i think um well i hope what we're learning now with being in in quarantine and having less human activity outside and seeing not insects but just like these animals coming out of the woodwork like wild animals walking Mm -hmm. through los angeles and 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 things like that that you know there isn't uh there isn't a space for people and and animals that is separate you know it's not yeah. mutually yeah. exclusive and one of the things this is a little off topic but one of the things that's been upsetting to me is some uh i don't remember if it was a scientist or who said exactly was saying that we need to even distance ourselves further from animals because with the COVID 19 being tied to well at first it was bats and the wet markets oh. and they're saying oh well, we need we shouldn't distance our animals are the problem we need to <laughs> Like sever Kill that tie. Them all. Pave everything. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's not the answer at all. <laughs> You're going the wrong no. way. No, uh, it's you know it's funny. I think a lot of people have uh, definitely are more with all of this more in tune with nature right now. Mm-hmm. And and we ta- I think so. We we've talked about it on the podcast, especially my fiance and I have started birding, and it's you know I just don't know if I just never noticed or or I just wasn't. You know, like these these birds are here, and they they really haven't been here. Or I've just never paid attention the whole time, and it's see you're yeah. looking. I, exactly, exactly. I think a lot of people are, which is there's always a silver lining for. for I all of think this. I think that's true, and I I hope that people are finding this a way to. 
go outside. I, I hope so. I hope so. So we, we did talk about creating habitat. What are some mm-hmm. of the other – now, you talked about protecting endangered species and aquatic species. Right. What are some of the other things that Xerces does to protect invertebrates and insects besides uh, habitat creation? So, you know, and and I, I'm going to answer this question, but I'm not going to answer it in a besides <laughs> habitat restoration. Okay. I think a lot uh, – well, the first part the first part anyway, I think a lot what we do is, okay, yeah, we create meadows or hedgerows of flowering shrubs or use forestry practices, garden practices, um, you know, native plants, plantings in general to promote um, habitat for these insects, in particular the habitat they evolved with. And when people think about pollinators, they think about flowers, right? Food. and, and so one of my jobs is to remind people that you have to support an animal through its entire life cycle to, for it to be called conservation, mm-hmm. good okay. conservation. And so we're constantly thinking about how they nest, how they overwinter. For native pollinators, it's different. You know, we can't, we don't keep them in a box like we do honeybees. Yeah. Um, and so those those types of things are very important. You can't just feed them. I like to use a kind of dorky uh, saying, you can't just be a flower weather friend. <laughs> like, the, all right. I like cheesy. that. I, like, I haven't heard that. I like that. <laughs> you got to live through the winter, right? You got to make do. And these insects more than, you know, honeybees that can be moved to safety or animals that migrate are fixed in our landscape. And so we have to think about that, and and that aligns with providing habitat, but also how we manage that. So it's not just plant and leave. You know, you have to manage that for less disturbance. You have to think about when you're mowing and what you're mowing. Like, it may not look like a lot of activity, but if you have milkweed in your field margin and you're you're mowing it before it flowers, you could have caterpillars and eggs on that milkweed. Mm, yeah. Right. So flowers aren't the only thing to focus on. And to take that one step further, you know, we talk a lot about pesticide protection, IPM practices, especially in the agricultural and the uh, residential landscape, which has a high volume, a high load of chemical um, Mm -hmm. input. Um, We think about beneficial insects. We think about birds, other wildlife, uh, Xerxes, not myself. But Xerces does a lot of advocacy work. We uh, try to influence policy through science, not just our uh, <laughs> mission, <laughs> yes. but through actual science-based information. And so we're, we're, we take this approach from the ground up and top down. And, and we're trying, we have people on staff that are just approaching this from all these different angles. I love that. I love that. What what would you say is your favorite part of the job? Like it you you wear a lot of hats. What what would you say and I'm sure it may be difficult to pick just one part, but Oh my gosh. The this is an endless list actually. <laughs> I'll I'll do like maybe my top 4 or 5. All right. Um wearing a lot of hats is one of the best parts because I'm always learning. 
I'm discovering new things. I'm only one person. I could only, you know, I get saturated. And so, um, you know, working with. And you're always um, cheerful. Yeah. You, you, how you are right now is how you have always been every time I've ever talked to you, which that impresses me. That's <laughs> I would like to think I'm I'm naturally a cheerful person, but I don't know. I I don't maybe I'm not. <laughs> there ain't no time to hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um you know, and so one of the things is is just working with not just my coworkers, which I will follow up on here in a second, but this broader conservation community practitioners, policy people. I mean, every, like, it's not just a job. You're, everybody's fighting for the same thing you are. And that is like so driving and inspiring. And well, it, was, um, it was nice to hear you say that you were working with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, which, mm-hmm. which they do great work. Do you get to work? And there's so many organizations that are, are maybe it's not the exact focus, but you're, you're overlapping. Do you get to work with a lot of these these organizations we, we do we work with and, and being science-based and a small uh, organization we we have um coordinating grants with uh, land-grant universities and researchers so people like rachel winfrey at rutgers mm-hmm. um helping us like test things test our ideas in the field make sure they work before we introduce them to the grand public um, we work with so many Audubon. I, I can't, I mean, the actual, the partnerships in New Jersey are very, very strong. Other than myself, we have so many partner employees with NRCS and, you know, we're all just fighting for this common goal. And I think whether, you know, it's the people growing the plants like you guys mm-hmm. or, uh, somebody that can influence policy or somebody on the ground digging the hole and putting the plant in. I mean, it, yeah. it's just really, really satisfying doing something I love and I'm passionate about and I think is really important uh, at the end of the day is is what, you know, makes me put my feet on the ground the next morning. And sometimes I write boring reports. Let's not lie. But there's some boring stuff. No, but that's part of any job. We we actually just had the conversation yesterday that we're actually friends with a lot of our competitors because at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You have that that one common common thread, which is nice. So it's it it makes it it's it's really different. It makes it different in that respect. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, but I think that's the way to go, right? Yeah. I mean, we could we could be in this market together, um, and and I think you know there's a lot of people right now. When I first started in 2013, coming you know from a, a like a educational background in conservation and ecology, I'm like, okay, pollinators, cool. It's going to be the flavor of the week, as conservation tends to be. You know, you get yeah. these ebbs and flows and in, in what's important. And that has not stopped. And I think it's because of what you're talking about. Competitors working together, people collaborating for the common good. Which is you don't get that in every industry. You you don't. And I, Feels I think good, that's doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> it really does. It makes you think you made the right choice with what you're doing when you when you do it uh, at the end of the day, when you feel good about it. 
I agree. And there's something to say, you know, beyond beyond the salary and and uh, not that I'm making a comment there, but just like the job satisfaction and, it, you know, from the Xerces perspective, my coworkers, there's such a great diversity of skill sets. Uh, most people, like I said, are much, much more smarter than me, but everybody's dedicated. Everybody's a hard worker. They're all working toward the same mission. It's a pleasant and productive uh, work environment and no drama. That's like, awesome. We're just trying to get, we're trying to do this and we're trying to do it together and all, all pettiness aside. And I think that has been, this has probably been the only job where you don't have that tension of, of workplace, um, I don't know, uh, uh, anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and that's important. That's important just for your pro- your own productivity on a daily basis. If you're happy and feeling good about it, you're going to come in and, and work extra hard mm-hmm. as well. So- yes. So, right, because everybody else is <laughs> exactly. So, so, what are what are some of your other favorite parts? You said you you couldn't list one. Um, I I I think my coworkers, uh, you know, our partners in conservation, just working with people that are dedicated for the cause. And as much as I would love, I I do love the variety. So I get to be outside. That's important. I get to. I can't this these uh, 68 days or whatever I said earlier uh, being computer bound has been very challenging (laughs) I love getting out on the land I like talking with landowners whether it's a farmer whether it's a land preserve and and you know those people know a lot like a farmer knows a lot about the land they've been managing for years and years and just having like having those conversations and learning from other people i i just think it keeps it's a nice variety it keeps things moving along and it's just really satisfying that's actually Um, one another thing that tom and i just talked about is that we kind of feel especially in our industry there's there's a gap missing between the like our industry has changed it really you know you go back 20 years ago 30 years ago they were farmers that were growing plants um uh-huh. and it and it's changed so you, you you had people that were doing this job for 30 40 years that learned by working it and passing that information on to the next generation as they came in so now you have it's it's a little more I, I shouldn't say academic but you have a lot more you know 30 years ago when i started this not that many people had college degrees mm-hmm. in in doing this and you find it a lot more but that information is getting lost somewhere between the guy had that had been doing it for 40 to 50 years um like yeah. you said like the farmer there's, that knows there's his more land. academic experience and less hands-on Practical, experience. so yeah. people have seen or heard how it works and and the, know the science of this is the the chemical change that's happening but they haven't actually done it and and seen when when they're after you prune a tree or or prune a bush and you wait uh, a few weeks they haven't seen that change they know the science behind that change and what's happening but they don't necessarily 
they haven't seen it. Yeah. I guess that's what we were talking about yeah. the other day. Or, or just so. learning like when to prune. Like mm-hmm. it may, yeah. you know, because your area is different than what you may have read in a book. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or the, hey, if you do this, it reacts this way. If you do this, it reacts that way. And it's mm-hmm. some of that information to me that I, I was passed down to me was invaluable. I hope I, I try to I try to pass it down. I try not to hoard the knowledge. Mm-hmm. I try to be very forthcoming with what I yeah. know. And at the end of the day, you need a balance of both. And like we you were do. saying with the farmers, it's um, they know the land and they've they've been working it. And and now you're seeing even in that field as well. There's more people that are learning the science behind stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I guess that's something that we talk about a little bit in our secret episode. Yeah, we have <laughs> about a the difference in, in generational differences know. and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We and, do. We have a secret episode. Yeah, the generational differences in opinions just based on someone having done it for for forty years versus someone who yeah. learned about it and learned different ways to do because it. Because you do need new and different ways. Mm-hmm. You do have to have that mix, and and you have to and you have to adapt. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to change, mm-hmm. and you have to continue to do both. And um, you need that influx. I, uh... I think that's that's super important, and that's one of the things that makes my position with Xerces so special with this partner position with NRCS is that, you know, I I have a landowner is interested, they want to do something for pollinators, um, you know, maybe they're eligible for an NRCS practice that gives them a little funding. They're certainly eligible for our assistance technically, um, no matter what, but you have to like be really innovative because you have to meet the farmer where they are and Mm -hmm. nobody has all the resources, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or endless resources. And so that's, that's something that we're constantly testing in the field. How many ways can we get this done? How can we make this easy? And, and then also one of the big things we do with our educational role is to take all that science and boil it down and present it to landowners in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah, which I'm sure I'm sure farming, especially, it's very generational. Um, where family farms mm-hmm. have been handed down from generation to generation to to introduce something new and different to how it's always been done. Um, I'm sure it can be a challenge. And I. Oh, go, it Kelly. can be, but sometimes you think, uh, like I'll use a stereotype here and, and with the caveat that I don't mean this, but sometimes you meet, you know, a curmudgeon old farmer that mm. never, it doesn't seem to get like set in his ways or her ways for, you know, the last whatever, how many years and you introduce this new thing and they're like, okay, I could adapt. I could wow. do this. Okay. And so I think there's, there's a little bit of a, a you know. Uh, everyone can do this whether it's a farm whether you have the equipment whether you're planting a planter in your front yard mm-hmm. providing now, the that habitat when when it comes to we've talked about agriculture and farming a lot and that being a focus of where you're doing a lot of this this habitat restoration um one of the reasons we started that group was because i saw how uh, Marcus Gray with Audubon yeah. International yeah. doing the Monarchs in the Rough was treated in other groups because he was uh, creating pollinator habitat specifically for Monarchs but it was really for all sorts of things on right. golf courses and uh, in those groups there was a real negative stim- uh, stigma attached to golf courses yep. I would say the same's attached to agriculture uh, yeah. 
Yep. I, I'd say so. Why Why is that the, the focus? I uh, Well, I think, so, so the, the perception, and, and I, I can't speak for everybody, you know, there's people like-minded like us, yes. but I think generally the perception is, um, oh, to manage something to look like a golf course, it includes a lot of toxic inputs. Yeah. Same with agrochemicals. What, what what people don't know, um, and and this perception is changing, is that you could go to Home Depot and buy the same stuff and dump it on your roses to get you know rid of Japanese beetle yeah. or other cosmetic damage, <clears throat> and that <clears throat> if you look at studies of things like toxic load, impaired waterways the 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 source from that is um h- home lawn and garden applications mm-hmm. and that's the highest much yeah. higher than than the agrochemical application and and it's a much bigger issue than just you know the chemical use you mentioned roses and japanese beetles well roses aren't you know, those roses aren't native to here. So right. Japanese beetles come over and wow, our, our favorite foods here too. We're, we're in, we're in luck, you know, and then that's really the much larger issue than it just is. chemicals. So if you were using more natives, potentially you could use less chemicals. Right. I see. I mean, you will see I'm not going to call them pests, but herbivore insects that either feed on the foliage or sap of a plant. You guys know, you see aphids on your oh, plants. Yeah, yeah. You know, are you, uh, if you're growing plants, that might be important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for If you're growing plants for profit as your business, but if yeah. there's like a, a milkweed in your garden with some oleander aphids on it, eh, do we need to like take take it to the nth degree and apply chemicals. And so this again goes back to that kind of traditional gardening where you're like tending to a plant or a specimen as people like to call it back in the day, like a specimen plant that looks super beautiful. We all want, you know, our yards to look nice, of course. Um, But to what extent? And I, I think that, and like, misconceptions about mosquito spraying and and tick spraying um you know it's 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 a little bit of a scare tactic but uh, to to some good measure because we don't want people getting sick so there's this you know there's this line on like when do we intervene and one japanese beetle on a rose plant might be fine but 700 might not be yeah so there's also that you know and we you know and this is this is a slippery conversation maybe i'll regret bringing this up but (laughs) but but we are a nursery you know and it's it's a business and it's of course you know and it's it's difficult we we are a business that does not use neonics um and you know and that was was what forced that was a, a lot of our customers requested mm-hmm. that we not mm-hmm. use neonics and, and i'll um even tie this back to yeah. kelly what you said before about how well our plants are going to restoration jobs yeah. and yeah, you know, we want to consider a lot of those plants to be pollinator plants yeah. but they aren't 
pollinator plants unless they support the larval stages and yeah. the whole yeah. life cycle of those yeah. plants as well. Right. And if you use uh, neonics and you have a, a monarch caterpillar, even though the, where you're getting the, the product from says, well, it's safe for the butterfly, well, it might not be safe. Well, it's for definitely the, not safe for the yeah. caterpillar if it's eating the leaves. Yeah. So, But it, it's, it's slippery too because you're not using neonics, but then you still have to be able to have plants to sell mm-hmm. and if you have an issue like grubs which i guess a neonic would be used for yeah. um you know you have to find alternate ways to you know because grubs can wipe out your entire crop too so it's 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 finding ways that you can still you know operate without those things but still maintain a business and and be able to supply plant mm-hmm. material it's it's not as easy as it sounds <laughs> definitely not and and that 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 does draw a divide between like a true um, restorationist that's doing like, um, you know, like a prairie restoration or, or uh, you know, in, in habitat areas. But when you're doing this on a farm, you have to consider all these things and the livelihood of the farmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and that's the same for you guys. You know, you, <laughs> you got to <laughs> put... You got to put some food on the plate. You do have to put. And so there, with anything we do, there there has to be a balance. And so, uh, you know, different conservation organizations, depending on what they're doing, and we realize that this is a divide and and not like you just can't make the ideal situation sometimes. So, if we can do something, uh, um. I think it's better than sitting on our hand on our hands waiting for the perfect thing to arise. Um, yes. But we we just we're just careful about how we do it. We would all love to be purists. Mm-hmm. I think we would all, you know, if 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 that was possible, I think we would all choose that route. It would be much easier. Not possible. Not sustainable. And if yeah. we want people to adopt this, especially on small scale projects, we need to be able to get them the plants yeah to get them the seed um and and in the northeast as i'm sure you guys know versus a place like the midwest where prairie is you know the main habitat or the ecosystem it's it's a little bit easier to source those plants there and so that's that's something in the northeast that is getting better but has become a challenge Definitely. So I do have one question that you, you mentioned all these partner uh, partnerships that you've been able to work with and your coworkers. If you had to pick an idol in the industry, who would your idol be? Like if you could, oh if you could have fifteen minutes with anyone in the industry to to talk with, who would it be? Do they have to be alive? No, no. They can be. They can be deceased. <sighs> That's. That is, uh, uh, that might be a very long list for me because (laughs) (laughs) I am um, definitely, you know, beyond insects and invertebrates, I'm I'm very into native plants. I'm very into animal conservation, wildlife conservation um, across the board. Uh, Um. I love. I really like you know, like the the old school, like Aldo Leopold. That I would be mine. To, that would be mine. I by would the way. love to to just be in his presence because 
I, I, I feel like it would be amazing. Um, it would have to be. It couldn't be anything other than that. Um, there's there's several um, women entomologists that I really love. Uh, okay. One of my my biggest heroes is a woman called Edith Patch. I do not know her. Yeah. She was the first female president of the Entomological Society of America, oh, and okay. like way back in the day. So you can imagine, like in in history, science was very male dominated. Entomology, I mean, yeah. more so. And so she really um, infiltrated that, not only just with her ideas, but like just becoming the president of a male-based society in like the 1950s was That's pretty amazing. Phenomenal. And she made some really cool predictions. Um, we're a little behind predictions, but she said something to the effect of, you know, when we reach the 2000s you know the government agencies are going to be more um uh interested in the protection of beneficial insects than the destruction of them and i think that was kind of a cool prediction for where we are now (laughs) and she mentions in her you know speech like plants like hawthorn and milkweed and those really floriferous plants that support so many beneficial insects so she was ahead of her time edith patch and and i really encourage you or anyone listening to look her up because she's a true inspiration i know tom as soon as you mentioned her her name tom and i both grabbed our pens (laughs) (laughs) and wrote her name down so we'll definitely be definitely be following up with that all right yeah and then and then a lot of of nature based artists like who? Give me one. Oh, um, uh, giving one is just too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have to write you a list. All right, yeah. all right, that's good. We'll do a follow-up list. So uh, this is another thing. I'm gonna. Uh, this has been my off-topic episode, but yeah. since you mentioned all the Leopold, he actually had. Well, he had a few kids, but one of them was a son named Luna Leopold, who one I love the his job title. Because he was a fluvial geomorphologist, I, and I, if if you ask my wife, that's like my favorite word to say or combination <laughs> of words to say. And he's basically studied in uh, rivers and, and streams and waterways. But he has a uh-huh. really great quote that is probably one of my favorite quotes, which is, uh, "Rivers are the gutters through which run the ruins of continents." Ooh. And it's basically saying that uh, all the trash and and chemicals and pollutants and Runoff and, and sediments. Well, they're running through the headwaters all the way down, and then that's uh, and really all the like it's really I guess the sediment that's and it's going out into bays and tributaries and ain't and, that the truth? Know. You know, I, <laughs> ties in a little bit to what we're talking. I have about. to say, at in in the thirteen years I've been in this end of the mm-hmm. industry, I've only ever seen one heated argument, like that was like a work related argument, and it was at a conference in Maryland, and it was between a presenter and a member of the audience arguing over restoring bays because with the watershed because the audience members like well if if you know the whole purpose of a bay is to fill in with sediment 
so that you don't have a bay and you're you're not restoring it <laughs> by keeping it a bay and i've never seen two people get so angry in my my professional career <laughs> i think but it's, it's it's nice to have that kind of heated debate though mm-hmm. and that people thinking about um what's really good uh for nature yeah yeah. What's, and what's long right? lasting and what's meaningful? You don't start at the bay, you know. You start yeah. upstream. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So this. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I think that you know, clean water is good for all of us. So no one should be arguing that. I, I agree. I agree. So the next question we have is actually one of Tom's questions. Do you want to ask it? Yeah. Yeah. This is. This was kind of um, preempted by going to some of your presentations and. I don't know if it's the same picture you show every time, but you always show this big picture of this fuzzy bee and say how you want to hug it so much. And it made, <laughs> it made me think, I was going to say, what was your favorite insect? But I actually changed the question to be, if you could be one insect, which one would it be? Oh, well, if, okay. So if I could be an insect... I would like to broaden that a little bit to arthropods. Okay. All right. Sure. So insects and their relatives. I'd totally be a wolf spider. (laughs) I would totally be like, ah, I look scary, but I'm not. And, and have a lot of food to eat and be very, like, they're such voracious predators. I I think I would like that. Of course, on, uh, as an alternative, I wouldn't mind being a pretty butterfly. Um, the, the insect I usually talk about with hugging are bumblebees Mm. and that's like a really good, um, uh, uh, I guess what we would call like the gateway drug into native (laughs) pollinators, (laughs) like to get people stop thinking about honeybees and go into bumblebees. In fact, if you ask a kid to draw a bee, They'll draw a fuzzy black and yellow bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so somewhere along we lose that. And and I always call the, the bumblebees because they're so big and fuzzy and easy to see and fun and, and pretty gentle. I call them the teddy bears of the insect world, <laughs> which I heard from someone else somewhere along the way in my career. But I was like, I have to have that <laughs> as, a, as my tagline. <laughs> So we we've heard of all the great things that you do and and the Xerces Society does. How are some ways that the public can help? How can they get involved and how can they help? There's so many ways and 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 often um, people feel like they can't do anything, but other than planting native plants in their yard, whether it's it could be a 10 by 10 space. It could be a big planter. Um, you know, you could even, if you like other ornamental plants that are not invasive, eh, throw them in, whatever. Um, you know, the the farmers and landowners, forest landowners we work with get incentive to do habitat restoration through farm bill programs. So if they're eligible, they could get money which is huge. Yeah. Um, it, it is not a, uh, it, especially if you have a large, if you're a large landholder, you, it's, it's not cheap. Um, yeah. And so the other things communities can do is 
form a little coalition, a little um, club in your community. We have programs for uh, for urban or residential areas. One is called D City USA. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's it's very much modeled off of Tree City USA. So you get all your like-minded friends together, you agree to do some things, you fill out an application, you get certified through Xerces to be a B-City. This also applies to uh, campuses. Okay. So you could become a B-Campus, you know, uh, if you picture some of these sprawling campuses. There's a lot of grass. Yes, mm-hmm. um, yes. You, you always and, see, you, you, you think of that big common area with people sitting on a lawn under a tree and, and, and doing work. <laughs> you know, it's a lot which, of lawn. Which I would not want to sit in a meadow and study, <laughs> right? <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> be, be getting it. I don't think anyone would be studying either. So I think having the tree with the lawn space is great, but also having these edge areas kind of just... Bring it in a little bit, you know, bring it in for a hug. Yes. And um, so those are ways people could get an infinite amount of resources on our website. I mean, our publication library is so big. Um, So you can, there's a map in our pollination or pollinator conservation resource center where you could click on your state and get like, region specific things so a lot of things we find online are like here's some plants that are good for pollinators and you're like oh are they good for my yard and so you could sparse that down that way Mm -hmm. um the other thing is coming to our programs um becoming a xerces member you get a lot of updates a lot of cool publications our wings magazine and and I think that really bodes well with people that maybe don't have a lot of land or maybe aren't mobile to do the work. And so they can feel good about giving us money to do the work, essentially. Yeah. What And what, what's the website that they can go to to do that? Is it X-E-R-C-E-S dot org. Awesome. And we're going to share all this on our website also. We always share all the social media links and website links. But uh, I'm assuming there's a Twitter page and a Facebook page that people can Uh, follow also. There is a Facebook page. There's an Instagram. I don't do Twitter. Um, If you want to get a hold of me directly, if you're in the eastern from Maryland up, you can email me at Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. Um, at X-E-R-C-E-S dot org. So Kelly at Xerces dot org. And I can point you in the right direction, give you resources. Awesome. If you're from another part of the country, you can email me too. I'll, I'll get you to that person. <laughs> I can help you. Now, we, I'm just thinking about it now, but this week was uh, we had, was it World Bee World Day? World Bee Day. What did, yes. what did you do for World Bee Day? So I um <laughs> unfortunately I've been um you know we at Xerces since I'm directly on the opposite side of the coast from yeah. most of my coworkers we do a lot of uh video chatting and and meetings okay. um this week was it's getting a, a little bit difficult with being at home yeah so 
Uh, we did a lot of online, as much as we could, online planning for future habitat projects. So awesome. looking at maps, looking at soils, looking at what we can glean, at least on the computer, which by no means is ideal, um, and, and try to, uh, this is the time of year when uh, NRCS is pushing those contracts through and trying to get people money to do these work this work so uh, unfortunately computer work no but you know that's all, that's all things to create habitat to help mm -hmm. help protect the bee so that's a that's a great way to spend the day if you think about it yeah. all right so we're, we're down to our final question and it's always right. our final question and and you said that you've listened to our podcast so you must know what the final question is oh my gosh oh <laughs> uh, come on oh all right. If you say it, I'm sure I'll know it. What is your favorite native plant? Oh, oh, my favorite, my absolute favorite. I'm gonna have to say pussy willow. All right. Oh, wow. Why? Why? I'm curious. Um, it is one of the first to bloom, as you guys know. Yep. Super easy to establish. Yes. It is. anybody can do it um and it has a host of of pollinators that are specialists on that plant so they only feed their babies uh pussy willow pollen or willow pollen maybe more broadly yeah. and and that's what they need to develop and i just think that's like i hate winter i should live in florida <laughs> or closer to the equator but when when those catkins come out, I am so happy. I'm probably happier than a bee. <laughs> and, and so I I think for all those reasons, that, that might be one of my favorites. I, I do. That's definitely a sign of change in, in season mm -hmm. when, when you see that. Like I'm always yeah. very happy to see that. And it's – Me too. All right. So we're going to give you one final thought. We always – we always try to – it can be something that we've discussed, something that we haven't discussed. Uh, it could be – you could just sum something up. But if, if we're giving you the opportunity for a final thought, you could say anything you want. I think one of the final thoughts I have, and it's really important in the grand scheme of conservation, is that um, – we're, we're very much trying and doing a lot of research and have scientists on staff to study um, what, what we're doing now, the plants we're planting, and how we're doing it, and how that's going to survive through these climate change projections. And so, uh, you know, one of the things we're focused on moving forward, like I said earlier, is getting these urban areas uh in the conservation conversation to get them cooling, to get them resources they need that nature can provide, but also this climate change resilience, which is applicable across the landscape. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And it's a really tough topic to think about. And so brain challenges is something I love. <laughs> do, you, do you think as far as uh, conservation goes that we are – at the, the height of our awareness right now with with or or what we can do to conserve or do you think we still have a 
a lot that we can do? Do you think that this is the most aware that we've been um, as as a nation, say, or as the world uh, goes as far as conservation goes? Um, hmm. I. <laughs> 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 or do you think there's a lot there you know there's it's amazing there's always a lot to learn there's always new people to connect with and there's there's always policy to influence which i think we're on the negative end of that in 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 this current time yeah. and and i hope that changes um and i think that's only going to change or will be most effective from these grassroots efforts. Yeah, all these so, grass, all these grassroots efforts. You know, when you said you know start a club, that could be the next Cersei Society. Right? right, right. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So don't be afraid to to force your community to do things. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tom, you get a final thought. Yeah, for for me, it goes back to really one of the first things that that Kelly said that um. It's just about every single one of our guests have said, and that was that habitats, even though they may be established for one thing in particular, benefit so many things. And um, really boils down, boils down to plants are really the only thing that can create food. Where they're taking energy from the sun and creating food that feeds insects, that then feed birds and and all sorts and of people. things. And and people, and it all goes back into the water and. You have plants in the water too, but um, and that's what's feeding mussels and and those kind of things. And it's even though the the Xerxes Society may be creating habitat specifically for pollinators, or they may like National Wild Turkey Federation is creating habitat specifically for turkeys. That's their goal. They want to create yeah. habitat for turkeys. Uh, they benefit probably not every animal out there, but they benefit a broad spectrum of our our native animals and, and insects and just all the critters so uh it's that, true that conversation is going to continue <laughs> i think every time we could yeah. have that final thought every time we do this but i think so and when i get an email from somebody that might have been a little suspicious or uh apprehensive about doing this on their land and you know through june June through August, I get like five text messages a day from a farmer with, <laughs> look at this plant, oh, yeah. look at yeah. this plant, look at this bee. I am, I'm just so satisfied. Yeah. And, and, you know, look closely because the little things are going to run the world, mm -hmm. whether you think so now or not, like those things are so important and they're very overlooked. When we think yeah. about wildlife conservation, we think about polar bears and, and things mm -hmm. like that, but not like, um, you know, a tiger beetle. And, yeah. and it's almost frustrating when you, you have stuff that's going the other way. And um, one conversation I had in particular was I had someone ask me about uh, plants, and I don't remember what. They asked me for a recommendation on a plant that would be good for honeybees. And I don't remember what I recommended, but I included how it wasn't just good for honeybees, but it was good for butterflies and, and native bees and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. she's like, I don't want it. I only want it if it's good for honeybees. <laughs> I don't want any of this other stuff stealing from the honeybees. And yeah. it's just the really the wrong way to think about it. We got to benefit everything here and not um, – we can gear yeah. it to one thing, but it's, it has a greater good. You know, and it's it, it makes me think of our last guest, uh, Benjamin Vogt, yeah. with just – 
you, you can't look at it about it's us and them. We're all part of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not what they can do for us. It it should be what we can do for them as well. And, and just I hey, agree. Yes, he's a great advocate and and just a knowledgeable person. I didn't listen to that podcast, but I saw it and saved it. You um, you will like that one. You you will like that one and, if you haven't listened. And I think one of the like like what do you do? Put up a sign by the plant that says honeybees only. i'll even tie it into one more thing where it was um a power plant that we were working with they had a large area around the the plant where they had to mow and um they wanted to convert it into a meadow and we consulted on a little bit and i don't i don't even remember what came of it but we said oh you could create like this pollinator mix and they said no we can't call it a pollinator mix we can't create a pollinator meadow because when people think pollinators they think about bees and when people think bees they think about being allergic to bees and has a negative connotation but we can have that same exact seed mix and call it a monarch mix and then it's <laughs> it's going to go over great and it was they were actually almost playing off of that whole um people just thinking about one thing and even not recognizing it was beneficial to everything um, and, and most of the times people are thinking about wasps and yeah bees. yeah and we've had this too at school learning gardens and guess what? We just call it a butterfly garden. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, and I'm I'm sure with some of that with the power plant, there were focus groups. Yeah. <laughs> say, oh like, yeah. They how can we do this? Not. Which that people was like will a big thing for it. them is that they, we could not call it a pollinator meadow. It was it had yes. to be a monarch or butterfly meadow. It couldn't be pollinator. That's amazing. Or just wildflower. Yeah. Wildflower yeah. meadow. So and Fran, what's what's I, your final? I get thought? a final thought. So I think. We when we started the podcast, it was so we could connect the the general public with all these great nonprofits and and show them the work they do and how people can get involved. I th- I find it's interesting that Tom and I we're getting more involved. Also, um, Tom joined NWTF. I've joined uh, Audubon New Jersey, um, yeah. and how much I didn't know about the work that. Our friends and customers do mm-hmm. like you, you think you know and then we have this great conversation i was like i had no idea to the detail or the extent that all these things are happening and i i feel a little ignorant because this is my this is my profession and i feel like i should know these things so it's it it's been a real eye-opener for me episode after episode and i know we keep saying this how much we learn we learn you know that 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 the overall theme seems to be habitat loss and and all these things but i think these conversations are great not just for us to have but for everyone to have um because it brings so much more out that and education we we keep mentioning education is is a major factor and and just having these conversations is is education so i i I am in the same boat, so do not feel bad. I look up something, I'm like, wow, I really need to find information on this. And I find it's all out there. Like my partners are doing it. New Jersey Audubon's doing it. The New Jersey Wildlife Society. Uh, NABA up in um, North Jersey, the butterfly, um, the local butterfly group. And, and so it's like, it's just hard to go about your daily work yeah like yeah. clock in do, do, do your to-do <laughs> list 
and think about like all the other great things that are going on where you're so hyper focused and yeah. and it's a challenge and i think these podcasts and all these new ways to connect with people are are super important and we work with a lot of those groups and we couldn't do the work we do without them uh, there there's this is not a one man marching order no, for sure and and i love that even during quarantine we're able to still have these conversations and find a way to connect even if we're not you know even though we cross paths and we do work together we don't always get to talk like this you know for as much you know it may be i think the last time i really got to talk to you was the last uh customer appreciation dinner that we had um which was probably the last time so, we got to but talk. listen I'll, I'll come to your office and talk because i'm a talker and my husband's so quiet he just nods <laughs> although and so if, if you want if you want me to come and talk at you i will all right that's fine <laughs> although i'm an introvert i'm a talker yeah. I, and and tom can attest for that oh yeah <laughs> i do well, like to talk but i appreciate you guys i just want to let everybody know that's listening um you know if you're looking for native plants if you're looking for great customer service, Pinelands Nursery is seriously uh, where I go, and and it it is um, just the best place to get a connection with a human in this world where we're so automated. And I think that really stands out for you guys. And your customer service and your plant materials are beyond compare. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you we really much. appreciate. It. I I take. Um, a lot of pride in that when someone calls here a lot of the times I'm the person that answers the phone um, just you know because if I'm sales I should be the person that they talk to I should be the one that greets them so we take a lot of pride in that we, we talk about that a lot you know every time it shows every time we talk about some sort of automation we, we end up shooting it down because we yeah. don't want to lose yeah. that personal touch um, and I think that's so important, knowing how your plants are grown, knowing where they came from, having somebody that could walk up, walk in the office and say, show me this. That's that's really, really critically important to conservation beyond all of the other things you're doing uh, for these larger conservation efforts in the region. And, and we want to know about it. And we want to know about the customer. So, you know, we, we one of the things we struggle with, and it comes up all the time, is we have customers asking for our availability online. And, and I'm the yeah. biggest, biggest person against it. And, you know, someone will be like, well, why? And I'm like, because I want to talk to you. <laughs> I want to find out what you need and why you need it. And if something's not there, I don't want you to look elsewhere. I want to Maybe there's a better choice. Maybe there's a better alternative. Maybe there's there's other things you didn't think about. I want to have that conversation with you. I don't want it to just be you and the computer. Well, I send a lot of people your way, so <laughs> <laughs> you should you should be at no shortage of work in the near future. Thank you. We we greatly appreciate that, and we we definitely sing your praises all the time. Yeah. Well, with that that. Uh, that uh, that about wraps it up so we want to thank you guys for joining us again today we hope uh we, yeah we really hope i always screw this part up for you know we, we gotta switch <laughs> we can switch next one we'll switch so we really hope you enjoyed listening to kelly gill and learning about the xerxes society uh please follow them at www.xerxes.org on or on yep. twitter which is at xerxes society uh facebook is at xerxes society and Instagram is also at Xerxes Society. Very consistent. Yes. With their, their I like that. handles. We're not as consistent. <laughs> thank you for uh, 
<laughs> oh, this was a fun one. So, <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. You can follow us on our non-consistent uh, social media handles at <laughs> Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery, NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, YouTube at Pinelands Nursery, and let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Let's keep the conversation going. Remember, Kelly is a member of the group, so if you have questions for her, make sure you continue the conversation there. So yeah. so you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. This is where I always mess up, too. <laughs> so you can always check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or you can just ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Plant Podcast. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Kelly, thank you so much. We, we appreciate thank it. Thank you. And Please relax this weekend. Yes, yeah. yes. Take uh, some time. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy some nature. You too. You too. And, and thanks again, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.